The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning, Gil. Hi. Um, it's nice to see you after such a long time. We yes. haven't uh, done this in about six months. Yes. And um, so nice to reconnect. And um, before we start, I just wanted to um, ask you how, about the Insight Retreat Center. I know mm-hmm. this new center that's um, you know been purchased and is opening, and just wanted to know a little bit more about the progress and maybe if I would be of interest to our members of our community. <clears throat> yeah, hi Marguerite, it's nice to see you again and and it's nice to, you know, through this kind of recording at least and, and you're asking questions to be connected to the wider online communities that are connected to IMC. Um, yeah, a big project that uh, Inside Meditation Center is involved in this year is the creation of our retreat center. A year ago almost, we bought a property about 50 minutes from here where um, it's an existing nursing home and we're now going to remodel it to become a a place for residential retreats where people can go for a week and 10 days or a weekend and uh, to engage in silent uh, meditation retreats. And it's very exciting for me and for our center. Doing meditation retreats is is a... one of the one of the central activities that we do in our particular spiritual practice, and it's um, in addition to you know, meditating every day or having a daily regular meditation practice. And the um, <clears throat> we have been doing retreats about six seven retreats a year where we rent facilities, but there's a big demand for our retreats. So many people want to come. People come from far away to do them. And so by having this retreat center, we can offer uh, much, many more retreats during the year and try to meet the level of interest there is. And um, it's a big project. Uh, we've been working for almost over a year with an architect, and it's been very slow to work, to, very slow to go through the local uh, county uh, building permit process. It's a lot of, a lot of new requirements they want us, a lot of more tests and investigations. We're almost there. Probably within the next couple of weeks, we'll start work, and probably about six months to do the work. And we're almost there in terms of fundraising for it. Um, we were able to purchase the property, and we have um, almost what we need to do the renovation. But we need another two hundred thousand dollars. Is what we uh, anticipate. So uh, we're involved in that last push to raise that money, and we have this uh, variety of things that we're doing. We're having an online auction. People from our community have offered some beautiful things, things, services. Um, and, um, and then I think in uh, end of March, we're going, beginning of April, we're going to launch uh, for three weeks this online auction um, to hopefully raise more money for the fundraising. And, um, and for the people who are out there in our online community, uh, if any of them are interested in Participating and helping to create this retreat center, uh, it, there, your support is very much appreciated. And we have—you uh, can go onto our website and read more about our retreat center. Oh, great! Thank you, Gail. So now we're going to start our uh, question and answer session with <coughs> questions from your, the community, starting with a question uh, from Will in New York, and uh, his question is. Uh, 
My reflections on death and impermanence have led me to let go of many of the ideas that I have been attached to and put me in touch with a feeling of profound emptiness. This process happened very rapidly. Uh, he's saying that he's not a very experienced meditator, but it has had a beneficial effect on making me suddenly less concerned with things like ambition, self-identity, and everyday cravings. The problem is that this process has been very painful. I find myself face to face with more profound sufferings, the fear of death, the fear of loss, and a feeling of disorientation. And now I have few everyday concerns in which to hide. Sometimes I feel almost as if I have delved too quickly into a certain type of practice without the necessary development. Do you have any advice about certain types of practices I can use to work with these powerful feelings? That's a, a wonderful question, uh, Will. Thank you. The um, <clears throat> Yes, it's possible for people to uh, delve too quickly into the practice, somehow the meditation practice, the practice, the insights open up quite quickly. Uh, where there's a lot of letting go, and in the letting go of the, the ordinary or the usual concerns, attachments people have, they then, ha- they then end up facing some of the deeper existential issues um, of, uh, that they have, fear of death, for example. <clears throat> uh, and uh, so sometimes when practice goes really quickly, uh, there's a few things to keep in mind and maybe uh, try to do. One, it's very helpful to have uh, a community of people you can practice with. So uh, sometimes that's hard to find, but um, uh, you can look around and find someone who had some community of people, spiritual practitioners, meditation center, meditation group, sitting group, even the Sunday morning sitting with the Quakers, um, the Friends Meeting House can be helpful just to feel like there's other people who are somehow connected to the same understanding, uh, who are going through some of the same changes, so you don't feel like you're the only one. Uh, and you feel a support for it, and, and it, uh, a little bit to normalize it and feel support. If there's a teacher around, a uh, spiritual mentor around that you can check in with regularly, that's very helpful. Uh, someone who can ask you questions, help you understand a little bit more what's going on for you. Um, um, so if you have a good friend who can ask good questions and help support you that way, it'd be great. Uh, the other thing is... Um, uh, to uh, when the practice goes deeply, especially when there's a strong feeling of emptiness, is it's also good to um, uh, alternate the practice a little bit with practices of compassion and loving kindness so that we get a, a clear sense that our practice in some way or other is connected to other people. Uh, the practice is also generosity, uh, uh, finding ways to be generous to other people, to practice generosity, so that are, are the, you have a strong sense that the practice is not only solitary, not only individual or personal or inner about letting go, but also that it's a practice that connects you to the welfare and well-being of other people as well, as well. So that you get a clear sense that your practice of letting go, your practice of encountering these existential issues, you don't just do for yourself, but you also do it in some way to help support and, and help other people as well. Um, and in that exploration of self and other, compassion, uh, and letting go, um, there's a, lots of wonderful um, insights and wonderful struggles that can happen in that process. 
and uh, I wish you well with that. Thank you. Thank you. And then the next question is from Cynthia in Tucson, uh, Arizona, and she wants she would like you to talk about uh, regret and guilt. She says, so many of us have spent our lives motivating ourselves through these negative emotions. I know I have deliberately cultivated guilt, regret, shame, and so on, because otherwise I might not do what I'm supposed to do. Yes, I agree that for some people, uh, regret and guilt are, can be big uh, issues, big force, forms of suffering, big motivators for people. Um, I had a lot of uh, guilt, uh, insecurity when I was a, a new practitioner in my early 20s and had to deal with that. The, um, uh, I think one of the primary approaches to these kinds of questions in mindfulness practice is to be willing to look at them more carefully and to try to look at them uh, with a balanced mind, meaning a mind that's not judging them quickly for or against them, where you don't feel that you're uh, don't decide that you're bad for having these kinds of feelings, and also don't decide that they're right or that they're justified, but rather in a balanced, equanimous way, be willing to explore and, and investigate. And there's many ways of doing that. Uh, sometimes in daily life, it can just simply be actively thinking about how it works in your life, regret and guilt, talking to friends about it. <clears throat> and it could also be exploration of your relationship to it, uh, what are your what are the beliefs you have in relationship to uh, to regret and guilt? <clears throat> uh, how do you relate to it when they arise? Um, uh, what are the emotions they trigger? What are the lessons you received growing up that uh, affect how you relate to it today? And so to step back and look at the way we relate to it a little bit with a hope that you can relate to it in simpler, simpler ways, so that when regret arises, guilt arises, um, maybe you can sit and meditate with it and you can be very simple with it, very easy with it, um, not needing to pick it up, not needing to push it away, not needing to judge its presence. In a way, give permission for it to be, to be there in a very simple way. And then to bring mindfulness to the experience of regret and guilt in some deeper way. Feel it in your body, uh, practice mindfulness of emotions with it, or just simply breathe uh, with it, breathe with the feelings, um, uh, without reacting to them, and see what unfolds as you do this. See how, what deepens for you, uh, what occurs. Uh, if we step back a little bit and look at the Buddhist idea of regret and guilt, um, it, the Buddhist uh, understanding of these words might not be the same way that other people use these words, but maybe what I have to say is useful. <clears throat> um, Buddhism distinguishes between regret and guilt, where regret... Uh, can be a healthy emotion, a healthy feeling, whereas guilt is seen in Buddhism to be a form of aversion, a form of ill will or hate. And uh, in Buddhism we say it's never useful to feel guilt, and Buddhism doesn't really have a place for guilt. The healthy part of regret is that if we've done something that's caused harm, if we to ourselves or to others, we've done something we feel is not right, then it's appropriate to feel some kind of little bit off about it, to feel regret about it. And not to weigh us down, uh, not to so we can suffer better, but uh, to really let it register deeply that, yes, this was not right, I wish I hadn't done it. And then rather than drowning in the feelings of regret, 
the Buddhist approach would be to feel the regret, to acknowledge it, uh, to feel like what we've done is not right, and then be forward-looking. Uh, forward-looking, I mean, uh, to see how can I do better in the future? How can I have learned from this? And now, in learning from it, how can I do better? And um, so that we're not weighed down by the past, but rather the past is a motivator for uh, to be inspired to do better in the future. In the, in the sake of in the in the in the in the situation of guilt, I think it's useful to look at the aversion, the ill will that's there, and to realize that um, there's a lot of extra ideas about uh, self and judgments and um, and uh, guilt is usually seen as kind of a self. Uh, form of selfing, self-identity issues. I'm wrong. I'm bad. Um, and um, and it's, you know, some people find it very meaningful to hear that in Buddhism there's no place for guilt, and that it's possible to just let go of it. Um, if there's healthy regret, there's no need for guilt. Thank you. Next question is from a person in Sanatio. Code name is Sparking Soul, and um, she says, I've been meditating for about five weeks and have been having increased anxiety the last few weeks that I think is related to meditation rather than the stresses in my life. Is this normal? When will it get better? What are you supposed to do with all the issues, feelings, and thoughts that are now being aroused? Yes, uh, it can happen this way. Some people, when they start meditation, immediately find that it's relaxing and and um, <clears throat> uh, brings more calm, more letting go of uh, their stress, their preoccupations. And some people find that the opposite, that uh, they do get more anxious. Uh, one of the reasons for that, there's a few reasons for this. Uh, one is that some people confuse mindfulness with um, uh, self-consciousness. So that as we sit, as we're mindful, as we're mindful, we become more aware of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're doing, and the old habits of of self-conscious habits of um, being anxious about that, being critical of that, um, being judgmental of that, uh, come into play, uh, uh, you know, unnecessarily. So part of what we do in mindfulness is to, in a sense, always step back. And from whatever's going on, and be mindful of it, to be aware of it in a non-judgmental way. And it's very helpful to see that we have this, you know, a relationship of judging, a relationship of of um, being critical or something, and then step back to see if we can just hold that in a spacious way. Sometimes, what happens in, uh, for meditation is that the surface tensions and stresses of our life fall away, and sometimes there are uh, hidden or buried or overlooked uh, anxieties, fears, um, issues that are just waiting, unresolved issues that are waiting to be addressed that um, cannot be addressed if we're always busy and preoccupied. And sometimes with meditation, as we get settled down, these d deeper unresolved issues come up. And rather than feeling distressed or feeling that's wrong, uh, uh, I think it's helpful to see that as beneficial that it's beneficial to begin uh, uh, addressing some of the deeper issues that have gone unaddressed for a long time. And if the cost of that is to be anxious for a little while or be a little more stressed as you face it, I think that's okay as long as we have some confidence that this is a useful process to engage in. 
it's important that a person have a good understanding of the of the instructions for mindfulness practice so that they know how to be mindful uh, of emotions of thoughts of feelings of their relationship to things and um, so if a person doesn't have confidence they they know the basic instructions I'd encourage them to listen to to go get those instructions and one way to get them is from our uh, audio dharma site where I have a a six-week introductory course in mindfulness meditation, and a person can listen to those and um, and uh, get some of the basic ideas. Thank you. Next question is from Benjamin in Dresden, Germany. I have been practicing vipassana meditation seriously for about four months during this year, hoping I could get rid of my discursive thoughts and worries, <clears throat> just as so many meditation books and famous teachers promise. I sat down in full lotus seat two times, 30 minutes every day, morning and evening, trying to focus on the breath, expecting my thoughts to go away. The results or benefits were zero. I have started putting meditation into question, wondering whether it is heavily overrated. I do not agree with the phrase, you are not your body, you are not your thoughts, you are not your emotions. Of course I am. My thoughts are the results of my perception and experiences with the real world and thinking like my thoughts aren't me would be like denying reality. When I talk about thoughts and emotions, I mean thoughts about real happenings that affect me or my relatives directly. For example, one of my family members will soon die of cancer or I can't pay the mortgage of my house and we lose it very soon. Why do you think that thoughts like that will ever go away from my mind like clouds on the sky as long as a real situation that stands behind these thoughts still exists. Great, wonderful question, Benjamin. And um, it might be helpful to uh, step back from uh, any ideas that you have about what meditation is and consider that... um, one of the functions of vipassana meditation, mindfulness meditation, is not to meditate and get calm, but rather to see clearly what's going on. Vipassana means clear seeing. Some people find in, when they start meditating that the calm, calming uh, effect of staying with the breath is very helpful. It's calming, it's settling, the mind can quiet down. Um, very much like maybe reading a really good book and really being involved in the book, you kind of, a person gets absorbed in uh, in the activity of focusing on the breath and the normal thoughts and activities of the mind um, don't get much attention or don't get much energy and they fall away and calm down and uh, and some people find that that works in meditation some people find other activities in daily life that helps them kind of step away or relax the discursive mind some people exercise uh, some people you know read books some people have a hobby they do uh, walk in nature. So it's often useful to have some kind of technique to lessen the intensity with which we are preoccupied and caught up in our thoughts. So some people, that meditation works that way. For some people it doesn't. And then we come to the idea of clearly seeing what is. And so to focus too much on trying to calm the mind uh, can be counterproductive. Uh, What can be useful is to begin studying the busy mind, studying the thinking mind, 
studying, you know, understanding what's going on. And in particular, one of the things that can be helpful to begin seeing is the way in which our emotions and our concerns and our fears and our anxieties uh, fuel the thinking mind, keep it going. And there are different levels of intensity with which we think. And to see how the different intensities work and what propels the different intensities, what the preoccupation is, it's very important, especially with some of these very important concerns that uh, you're thinking about, family members who are dying, who have cancer, uh, uh, concerns about paying a mortgage. There's many real issues that people have to uh, address and think about and solve in their life. But uh, meditation is an opportunity to look not at how to solve those issues, but how we're involved in those issues, the attachments, the concerns, the emotions that are fueling it. Um, Because the hope is that, not that a person would once and for all stop thinking about these kinds of concerns, but from time to time have the ability to take a vacation from them. Time to time to be able to put them down so that um, the mind has a chance for, to rest, the mind has a chance to reconsider these things from a different perspective and different angle, just as many times people uh, can do that when they have a vacation, and they come back from vacation, and they can look at their work in a new way or themselves in a new way. But that process of being able to put things down uh, is most realistic, happens most realistically if we understand how we are holding on, how we are tense, how we are um, glued, how we are propelled to be concerned with these things. And one of the most useful things for doing that is to look at uh, the emotions that fuel it. If you're interested, you can look at the fourth week, listen to the fourth week of my six-week introductory course, where I talk about mindfulness of thinking. And I think that will probably answer some of your questions about this. In terms of the question of you are, you are not your body, you are not your thoughts, you are not your emotions, I agree. Of course you are. Uh, your body is not someone else's body. Who else, is, who else would it be? And um, uh, However, the, it's easily possible, it's, it's easy to see how some people are overly preoccupied with this is my body, this, these are my thoughts, these are my emotions, and there's a whole sense of self-identity which is a concept, uh, is wrapped up in their body. So, for example, you know, someone who is a, um, uh, a really handsome or beautiful person, um, you know, their, their, their beauty, their handsomeness is maybe, you know, it's part of who they are for sure, but their self-identity, their self-image can be totally uh, caught up in what, how they look. And, and there can be a tremendous amount of suffering and preoccupation in that identity. And maybe it's relatively easy to see that that person can relax and not be so um, conceited about their looks, not be so identified with their looks. And to continue that process of of not being so caught by the identity, not be so identified by these things, is one of the ways that people find much more peace. So not to identify with your thoughts, not to be identified with your emotions, uh, meaning you don't use your thoughts and your emotions to define yourself to evaluate yourself, to judge yourself about who you essentially are. You don't, you don't limit yourself to your thoughts. You don't limit who you are to what your emotions are. And by not doing that, uh, some people find much more peace and ease uh, 
and access to a much wider range uh, of wisdom and perspectives for how to engage in their life, uh, understand their life, um, respond to their life. So I hope this is helpful. Thank you. Okay, next question is from Carmen in the Canary Islands in Spain. She says, I'm unemployed with no kids, no friends. My loving dogs recently died and I'm very sad and feel a strong sense of failure, loneliness, fear of a future and a lack of motivation to go on with my life. Meditation is helping me to surmount those feelings. Lately, when I go to bed, sometimes feeling very tired, I listen to a Dharma talk, and after a long while, I find myself feeling quiet and calm, but not really being able to sleep and have a deep rest, a kind of sensation similar to the deep meditation state. Is this normal? Is it because I am dedicating too much time to all this new knowledge? Am I too centered in meditation due to the lack of other activities and interaction with other people? Thank you, and I'm sorry for uh, the loss of your dogs and and, uh, work and the different challenges you have. And um, um, I think that, I mean, I'm glad that uh, you're able to uh, lay there in bed and be calm and uh, relaxed. Uh, sometimes when uh, you know sleep needs can change quite a bit. Hopefully you're getting enough rest and you're not tired during the day. Um, I think that uh, if you uh, if a person spends too much time meditating or alone or quiet um, with some of the challenges that you have, it might be helpful to uh, try to reach out and be connected to other people a little bit. Um, even even if it's just kind of to be around people where you don't have to talk to them. Uh, just to have uh, go someplace to volunteer, to help out, uh, try to reach out to some friends, try to um, uh, uh, do some acts of generosity. Uh, it's a it's an important thing to do uh, in order to kind of uh, test oneself to find out what's really going on for oneself. If you spend too much time alone, sometimes it might be hard to understand uh, uh, the difference between. Um, sometimes between depression and being, um, um, you know, really quiet and calm. Some people get really subdued and think it's kind of a, or even sometimes feelings of emptiness, and they think, oh, this is profound Buddhist emptiness they're feeling. And what they're feeling is uh, some kind of, uh, you know, depression or something. And so by reaching out and connecting to other people, uh, it can be very helpful to kind of test and find out what's going on and maybe bring a corrective um, sometimes um, it's helpful to have a therapist that one goes and talks to or a spiritual mentor or uh, someone just to reach out to someone and, um, and talk um, the, um, uh, I would also encourage you to try you find that listening, listening to Dharma talks is helpful for you you might try doing the same thing in the middle of the day when you are awake and alert and not do it lying down, but do it sitting up and see what the effect that has for you. And, um, and if that also helps you to get um, some kind of a deeper, um, quiet, good, calm feeling, then take that calm and quiet and, and, uh, act and do something active. Um, uh, get involved with your life in some deeper way. Um, 
reach out to other people, um, try to find, uh, try, try to be, uh, if you don't have friends, um, don't worry so much about it, but uh, be friendly to other people. And whether it could be strangers, it could be people, um, you know, anywhere. But uh, don't worry about people being friends with you. Uh, try to practice friendship, uh, loving kindness, generosity, in, in small ways to the people around you, the people you, you encounter. And if you do that, I think you'll find that the meditation practice uh, can be a great support for your life. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you. And the next question is from Danny in Leeds in the UK. He says, I feel I should have been born female and I spent most of my life using thinking to minimize and dismiss my experience. As I connect more with the body and let go of thoughts, I find a new and different sense of struggle and discontentment. I become aware of the shape of my body, of the lack of a womb, breasts, etc. And I find myself feeling tearful and even anxious. Yet, returning to thinking moves me back into a struggle with thoughts and fears about what I just experienced in my body. I would be appreciative if you could offer some advice or guidance for people like myself who don't feel a congruence between their mind and body in terms of their gender and the special challenges this creates in practicing mindfulness. Thank you, Danny. And um, uh, I believe that uh, Buddhism, Buddhist practice, uh, can be grateful, gratefully, uh, greatly supportive of you and people in your situation, uh, because uh, one of the things that uh, one of the approaches of mindfulness in Buddhism is not to begin with any uh, judgments about how or concepts about what should be or how people are supposed to be, but rather to allow people to be as they are. And we know now that there are many different ways, uh, completely wonderful ways, that uh, human beings are, that it is very different from some of the conventional ways of, of you know, that we think of, of being human. And as we appreciate the great diversity of how people can be, um, then we, uh, we can free people from the oppression of thinking they're supposed to be any particular way, and then, uh, to be a conventional man, conventional woman. There's now all kinds of, uh, you know, understanding of uh, all, uh, different genders than uh, male, female. Uh, there are people who have um, uh, people like you who uh, feel that they have a body of one gender, but the inner life is of a different gender. And I think that the Buddhist approach is to be very generous to that, be very accepting of it. This is how it is. And then to support people and help people uh, to find a way to live their life that um, is free of suffering and is wise and beneficial given how things are. Um, so mindfulness practice, for example, can help um, because one of the one of the important ways of of doing mindfulness practice is to appreciate the difference between what is and our relationship to what is, uh, what's happening, and how we our attitude towards what's happening. So um, if what's happening is there's struggle, 
uh, if there's suffering, what is the relationship to the suffering? And that relationship is where the second arrow comes in. Um, and if you haven't heard the story of the second arrow, maybe it's worth saying. Uh, a man came to the Buddha, or the, the Buddha uh, was talking to someone, and he said, uh, if a man is struck by an arrow, is it painful? And the person the Buddha was talking with said, yes, it was, it's painful to be struck by an arrow. And then the Buddha said, if a second arrow strikes, is that uh, even more painful? And the man said, yes, it's even more painful. And the Buddha said, the first arrow uh, is so- sometimes is what, life ha- what happens to you with life. You can't expect to go through life without any pain or suffering. But the second arrow is what we do, to, uh, do because of it. So if I uh, break my leg, uh, that's the first arrow. People do break their legs. The second arrow would be when we get angry at ourselves for being clumsy or we get angry at other people for, you know, for how they didn't repair the sidewalk or something. Uh, the anger, the criticism, the guilt we might feel the second arrow. So uh, people, um, and some of the first arrows are not arrows even. Some, some are flowers. People have beautiful situations in their life. But then there's all these second arrows on top of it. Um, and uh, people's sexual orientation, people's um, gender, um, is quite, can be quite beautiful, all the different alternative ways. But unfortunately, we have these second arrows, these arrows that we, we, we strike, the, strike, it, strike it with. So part of mindfulness practice is to begin understanding uh, how we relate, the attitude we have, and seeing if we can simplify the relationship to it, simplify the attitude, just let it be as it is. And, um, and it can be quite beautiful to relax and let the body just be as it is without any reference point to any shoulds, what's supposed to be, and, um, and perhaps uh, your inner feelings of, um, of how your body is as opposed to what it lacks. Uh, maybe if there's a deeper relaxation into that, maybe something really beautiful can bubble up from inside. And if you can free yourself from the social judgments of how you should be, maybe you'll find a beautifully creative way of um, expressing uh, yourself and who you are um, uh, in, the, in the body you have or in the mind that you have, the heart that you have, and, um, and uh, the gifts that you have, the gifts of who you are, can be something you offer to the world. Uh, it's not an easy thing that you're up against, but uh, I'm confident that uh, with care and mindfulness and deep respect for who you are, that uh, you can find a beautiful way of being in the world and a beautiful way of being uh, who you are. Um, and I hope that uh, you do that. I hope you get lots of support and respect for uh, who you are. Thank you. So the last question comes from Aditi in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Um, she says, I keep thinking about friends who are not giving me the attention I want and obsess about it day and night. I keep planning what I will say to them when I'll see them. There is anger and self-judgment that I am so weird thinking these thoughts when I could be free and light-hearted and enjoy life's many gifts. I want to rid my mind of these thoughts, all these shadows my days, when I, there is so much else I could enjoy in life. Yes, well, thank you. Um, I think that uh, something like this, uh, 
you know, it's helpful it's helpful to investigate more deeply, to understand more deeply what the anger is, what the self-judgment is, to understand how, how you're behaving, what you're doing, uh, what the nature of your friendship is with other people. Uh, perhaps uh, there's ways that you can change, that you need to look at yourself and be honest about yourself in a deeper way. Uh, it might also be that you need to be more honest about the nature of your friends. Sometimes it's appropriate to let go of friends if they're not being... Um, really friends uh, to you. Um, so, uh, so these kinds of issues maybe that you're raising here are maybe not so easily addressed through meditation practice or personal mindfulness practice. But here is this example where maybe uh, talking with a therapist for a while and bringing these kinds of issues up gives you a forum, a, a way to explore them, discuss them, be questioned about them, uh, that can be much more productive and faster than sitting and doing it by oneself in meditation. The second second thing I I found useful in life is uh, in relationship to other people. If I feel like I'm not getting from someone what I want, um, it's very interesting to turn, turn, uh, turn the tables on this and rather than waiting for, to, for me to get from other people what I want, is to turn it around and offer the same thing to them. Uh, if uh, someone's not giving me attention, then um, uh, I turn around and offer them more attention. If they're not interested in me, then I uh, uh, show, my show more interest in them and ask questions about them. If they're not being generous to me uh, and I feel that's a problem, uh, then I turn around and try to be generous to them. So to turn it around 180 degrees, and th that sometimes does amazing things. And uh, and it can, sometimes it works like magic. So uh, you might try it and see what happens. Run the experiment. Whatever you feel that you're not getting, offer that to others. Best, best of luck with it. Well, thank you, Gil. This concludes <clears throat> our question and answer session for this month. And... Um, we're looking forward to more questions from um, members in the IMC online community. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Marguerite. Bye-bye.